Welcome to another episode of Beyond Queer Stories. Today, we're super excited to have Jay with us. Jay is finally an unapologetic, same-gender-loving human who is a lover of mental healthiness, personal and spiritual freedom, and educational enthusiast. She hails from the Windy City, but is a new resident of California where she operates as a therapist. Jay is committed to the fight for wide spectrum of justice and equality and empowerment of Black and Indigenous women. Welcome, Jay. Yes. Thank you so much. What identities do you feel most influence your experiences? The identities that I feel that influence my experiences are really connected to being not it's it's difficult to say like am I black first or am I a woman first? And so it's like to me being a black woman really influenced my my experience a lot because when I walk into a room, you're going to see both of them at the same time. And from there starts the assessment. Uh, I don't want to use the word necessarily judgment, but here starts your assessment of who you think I am or who I could be or how I may present myself. And that influences it a lot. And that in itself, um, can anchor a lot of ways of which how I am even going to present myself in a room, you know. And, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, when you walk into a room, you own it. That's nice if you can. Mm. Um, but you, a lot of times you have to be aware of, of where you are, the space that you take up. And, and it's a lot of forethinking and it's a lot of, um, mental management, you know, which is not bad, but it's just a part of the society that we live in. You know, I remember when I was younger, I could easily walk into the bus into a space and be like, I'm here. And everybody's like, yay. Now it's like, and who are you? Mm. What do you do? You know what I mean? Mm. So it's, you know, those things really, those two identifiers really um, hit for me the most. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel like they impact your work in the mental health field? It's interesting that you would ask that because I feel as if um, what I've been noticing is that people feel very comfortable in the mental health arena with women of color, specifically Black women. Um, I feel that people feel more at ease as if, and I don't want to make this blanket statement, but I do feel this very heavily, that people feel like you're going to get cared for. You know, and um, a, a buddy of mine I was in grad school with talked about she has a private practice in the suburb of Chicago, and she talked about her demographic of people that she works with are, you know, basically white families. And she says that, that parents literally come in every week and try to make more than more than one appointment in a week just to help them parent their children, just so that she they can get her wisdom on things that she needs to do uh, or things that their kids need to do. Like it's almost as if she's become a third fixture uh, as an adult in the household. So if she says to her, to the daughter, your parents told you that you're on curfew and you can't be out of the house 
past 11 o'clock, the daughter listened to the therapist before she listened to the kid. And so I find, I'm not surprised by that at all. Not at all, because it's her delivery. Number two, she establishes her extensive care um, and concern and her intent to help the family become more cohesive, become, you know, a better collective, a loving unit where there is, you know, a differentiation in authority versus just some kid that decides to take over the household. So I'm not surprised. And and, I, and because of if someone senses or feels that they are going to be automatically cared for simply because of my identifiers, that's interesting. But in, in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't be in this field if I didn't care. The day that I realize I don't care, that's the day that I'm going to quit mm-hmm. or try to shift what I'm doing to something else. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I've become dangerous. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So what uh, led you to go down this route of mental health? I went down the route of mental health because of my family. I was the youngest of four girls, but by the time I was 28, I had buried my whole family unit. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, my dad, my siblings, they all passed away. And um, in that point of time in my life, because I have a former life and then I have my current life, um, I was in ministry. And so, you know, I'm serving people, you know, I'm caring for others. I'm sitting at the bedside of people while their relatives are dying, while mine were dying as well. And I remember after my mom's funeral, literally coming back home, sitting on the side of the bed, like trying to overcome that thing called depression but not having the mindset to know, why don't you just go to a therapist? Why don't you just go get the help that you need? I didn't have that brain connection. Like it just did not connect to me because of the fact that with me being in ministry and of course within the the confines and within the culture of the black church, you're not going to necessarily go to therapy initially. No, of course not. (laughs) You're going to make an appointment an appointment with the pastor, you're going to talk to your friends who are in higher levels of ministry, you're going to see what they can tell you, all that kind of goofy stuff. And then at the end of the day, you jacked up more because they're just as jacked up as you are. (laughs) (laughs) So because of that, I realized I wanted, my heart was in a place because I wanted to give out more to help more people. But then I realized, no, I need to talk to somebody because I was relearning how to take a bath every day because of how hard the depression was for 12 years after my mom died I slept with the phone in my bed because I was still subliminally waiting on a phone call from my hospital it's like those little things that may seem harmless but it's impacted my psyche so after getting the help that I needed and realizing the, these gifts that I had to still come alongside people and how people trusted me and how people would listen to the things that I say and I would help navigate, not control or not give out direction per se then. But I was like, you know, maybe I should see what this looks like in school. And so at the time I was working for a university and we, if, you know, all employees went to school for free. So I was like, let me, get, let me get a VA a try, you know, a try. Let me see what happens. And so there begins the trajectory. It's interesting to like think back on 
how life takes all those different directions and gets you to where you are, right? Like I, it's such a nonlinear path and unpredictable. It's wonderful to hear how you got where you're at. Yeah. And then, but it also makes me think like, I wish it would not have been such a painful path that I would have to lose everybody to understand what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things where I tell people now, like, just pay attention to the things you're curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that you would do for free? Mm-hmm. What is it that you know that you're good at? And 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 this new mantra that I've been I've been talking about is you're not in a race. Mm-hmm. There is no competition. Contrary to societal beliefs, on the real, there's no competition because at the end of the day, no one can do what you do. No one's going to care about a person the way that you care about them. Not to say that what you do is better or less than another person, but at the end of the day, there's no race. Find out exactly what it is that you like to do, and a path can be made for you. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of you determining what you really like to do. And that takes time. It takes self-discovery, self-awareness. And it does take part, it, it does take life experience, too. But in the same instance, it's a matter of can you afford to not go through experiences? But I just wish it hadn't been the fact of them me losing all of them to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Do you feel like going into mental health and like when you went through your studies was part of your of your healing process in that? Uh, part of it. Part of it. Because what's interesting is that. At the end of the day, grief is a whole dynamic within itself. Mm -hmm. And I often question, can you really get over losing a loved one? Mm -hmm. And so that's, in my opinion, I feel like it's a never ending process. And it's one of those ones where the thing is not as profound, but there will be instances where it's like, oh, I miss my mom. You know, know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, the holidays, all of them stuff ball. But what do I do to kind of create a better life for myself? So it is a part of it, but it's going to be a consistent part of it, mm-hmm. you know? So that's yeah. kind of how I see it. So kind of thinking along those lines, I feel like both, you know, when people lose significant people in their life and when people become a part of the queer community, you form chosen family often, right? So mm-hmm. what has that been like for you, finding chosen family? That's been interesting for me, um, especially when I was getting very much more comfortable with that chosen family in Chicago. And boop, here I am in California looking like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's been interesting. Um, and so I was with my partner for years, but Unfortunately, both neither one of us were really quote unquote out, if you will. But one of the demises of our relationship was the fact that they had their own family structure, but I wasn't integrated into their family structure, Mm -hmm. even though they knew they were right there through a majority of the things that I went through. But because of how comfortable they felt about people knowing who they really loved, Mm -hmm. I wasn't a part of that. So. I've learned how to navigate so much independently. And, but then I also ran into this beautiful queer, um, well, 
little beautiful. I don't, I'm not quite sure how they identify, but I'll just say trans person that is like a mother to me for real. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm older than her, mm-hmm. but it's just like, I don't care mm-hmm. if I need a hug, if I'm hungry, mm-hmm. if I just need to just send a message on Facebook and just know that I'm going to see the little dot, 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 you going to message me back. Um, because of the fact that she knows how to care for her own people. Now she's over a house, so that's probably just innate. But um, a lot of times when you see people in the in the community, you want to see someone that's real and you want someone that's going to be like, I'm not just doing this just for the sake of somebody liking my post mm-hmm. or somebody acknowledging me out in the street. I've seen this person literally give their last to make sure that somebody else, you know, or, you know, let me cook you a meal. Let me find you someplace to stay. Or let me, if I don't have the resources, let me go ahead and reach out to other people. And so I saw that aspect in her and fell completely in love with her. And, and what was interesting was that I saw a lot of that happen with her. I just love who they are. And because of that, I've always felt welcomed and connected and really grateful for that relationship. That's really beautiful. grateful. Yeah, yeah, really grateful. But what I've also loved too is that people that are out here, the queer community is one to be reckoned with because mm-hmm. folks out here are making a, a difference. And what I love so much is that I've seen so many people be resilient in what they're doing. You look up, you got the most creative, the most talented and gifted folks that are literally taking, you know, dance steps and they're creating companies with it. You look up and folks are creating their, you know, movies. And and a lot of this came from the fact that there is a, a, a bit of rejection from the mainstream arenas and the industry where it's like you don't get a chance to get that breakthrough you know because of who you are you know or they have things set aside for only certain types of individuals or you look up and this people are taking over and not giving trans people the opportunities that they deserve so you look up and people are like i'm not gonna let that stop me i'm not gonna let it get in my way and so i've always appreciated the fact that people are just like watch me Tell me no so I can do it twice and then mm-hmm. take a video and put it on your social media page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> love it. So I love it. I love seeing so many queer people making moves in big ways now, too, that is just being noticed everywhere. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Like, I follow Lena Waithe and see all the shit she's doing, and her name pops up on everything now. I'm like, how do you have time? But it's amazing to see her touching so many amazing product projects and just like taking fucking over i love yep i love seeing all that yeah yeah and and on top of that is i believe that she's the type of person to help other people understand Mm -hmm. how to get to the top yeah you know and or, or at least at that level because i don't feel like she's expanded i feel i mean like she's like stagnant i feel like she's going to soar even more than what we probably will ever get a chance to to really see the full in-depth of all her creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at other people who are doing like the videos that are on Vimeo, 
You know, they're mm-hmm. creating their own web stories. And I'm just like, this is so dope. Mm-hmm. The fact that you could just take a doggone iPhone 8, which is trash, but right. you know, iPhone 8 or 10, and just go to town. And you look up and it's like you're getting nominated for something at Outfest. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, here's a trans movie on Netflix that was done on the iPhone. Like, what the hell? Like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. And I love that we are able to be resilient and unstoppable within this community. Mm-hmm. I really do. For sure. So when did you move to California, by the way? Like, when did you move? Uh, literally eight days ago. What? Wow. <laughs> yes. Just landed. Eight days ago. That was the most traumatic experience. And not traumatic in a bad way, but... Because of the fact that I booked my flight with Spirit Airlines, that's oh, the thing. Oh, that says it. They were like, but see, what happened was is that that air it flies into into Oakland, and it's literally like a fifteen minute ride from the airport to my apartment. And so I needed to get here at a certain time because I had Xfinity Comcast coming. Mm-hmm. And then I had to meet with the realtor to do a walkthrough for my place. And I was like, I, I'm on a time schedule. Mm-hmm. So because of the timing, that's why I ended up flying with Spirit. But then on top of that, you look up and it's like, I only traveled with two suitcases. My whole life, all of my years wow. of living in Chicago ended up going down into two suitcases. of my life is still in Chicago on the backs of other people. Like my family, you know, I got folks that are wearing my clothes now. Wow. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't believe that I got to basically rebuy a whole closet. Mm -hmm. But I said I wanted to be a minimalist. Mm -hmm. And I'll be a fake one because I don't really know what all that's about. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, the way my closet is looking like, if I were to pan this camera, y'all be like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> so what made you want to take that leap? Um, well, a couple of things. Number one, working in the mental health field is very rewarding personally. However, in the Midwest and in Chicago, in certain areas, it is not financially rewarding. And, you know, they tell you when you get out of grad school that, you know, don't expect to be, you know, make a bunch of money off the bat, which is understandable. It's like you do. You have to crawl before you walk or run. And I totally respect that. But what I'm not going to do is be subject to agencies where there isn't support, where there isn't, there's something about wanting to pay your bills out of one check, if you will. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but, you know, it's something about paying rent and then having money left over mm-hmm. to then eat with, I don't know, put gas in your car. And so that's a challenge within the field. And then I noticed in Chicago that a lot of mental health agencies all pay at the same tier. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. So even if you have life experience on top of an education, they're still basically going to be like, oh, that's nice, girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But here's this this nice mid thirty salary. I'm oh, like, but I just completed yeah. a master's degree mm-hmm. to do this. I have the experience. I may not have a licensure yet because I have to wait to take that. But are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And so 
I that was part of the reason um, because I was given an opportunity that I was just like I can't turn it down. Okay. But then the second part of it is is that I've never lived anywhere else. So I did some work out of the country. I've got to, gotten a chance to do some contract work for the, um, an NGO in Johannesburg, but I've never lived anywhere else. So even if I were gone to do work someplace else, I still came back to my Chicago address. And so I was like, there, there is no one else. The relationship that I was a part of ended. So why would I not try living someplace else? And what was interesting for me is that even a lot of my friendships were starting to take on different identities and they were not as, how do I explain it? It's almost like you're cool with people, you're friends with people, but as the universe is orchestrating change around you, there's some dissipation that's happening and there's some loosening of the reins. And, you know, people are just kind of like stepping back and you're just kind of making your changes. And you, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe we'll talk, you know, and maybe we won't, but there's no bad blood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no hard feelings or anything like that. It's like if the relationship survives, it does. If it doesn't, it's okay. Yeah. And so a lot of that was happening for me, even after graduation. And so I was just like, there is nothing holding me here. And so I was like, okay, let's go. Yeah. So that's what happened for me. Well, on that note, it is about story time. Ooh. We'd love to hear what you got for us. So, so basically, you know, kind of coming alongside the, the aspect of living like a full life. Like one of the things that I was always concerned about was you know, will I live, you know, will I really have a full life? Because coming from a family background where my sisters were dead by 38 and my parents, you know, were gone. It's like, how do you really turn your tri- your trials and your tragedies into triumph? Like, how do you really live a good life, you know? And that, that thing is what I've been learning is to do it without fear and without without being apologetic and so you know I was a hypocrite big time I was going to church like yes every six days a week I'm shutting that joint down opening (laughs) it up you know folks leaving the club at six in the morning I'm headed to the church to be able to open up at six in the morning you know well that's kind of a lie but yeah (laughs) and so it was like you know this was my life and so you you look up now and a couple of things I just wanted to make sure that I throw in, like there are people who don't feel like they belong in different spiritual spaces mm-hmm. because it's like, this is how I identify. Like someone would, like you would ask me, like, what are my identi- primary identifiers? And it's as a black woman, someone would say as a queer person, as a lesbian, and you know, you see me, you see a trans person. And so However, a person identifies, that's the area that that is the most sacred to them mm-hmm. because it's primary for them. And so to look up and there are so many religious spaces and spiritual spaces where people feel like they just don't belong. That's one of the things that I just want to see happen different. And it's, it's, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine who is like the queer people's pastor, as far as I'm concerned, in Chicago. 
And she was really like, you know, you got to pay attention to what's burning for you because that thing very well could be how you help other people. And it's just to make sure that whatever you're leading, you're doing things without fear. And so, like I said, in my previous life, I was spewing a bunch of stuff, you know, saying certain things were from the Bible and all that type of stuff, like the straight church lady. But I was kind of, you know, I was cute with it. But it was one of those things where I wasn't living a free life. I wasn't living a happy life. I wasn't living a full life. I wasn't, you know, because of self-esteem issues, because of not having a family. You sit up and you have to navigate through a bunch of stuff. And you're basically like, okay, cool. So I'm going to, you know, do what I can to stay on top of the radar and be pleasing to people. And so with that being said, it's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to live free. Not until I separated myself from the institution, not God, but the institution, the culture, all of the other shenanigans that were a, a part of it. Not until that happened that I started experiencing freedom and unapologetic ability to breathe. That air that I just took, that just really summed it up for me. Could I breathe? I can love who I want to love. Mm-hmm. I don't care what they look like. Long as you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that you can love who you want to love and know that, you know, people it's like, okay, God still loves you. Go somewhere and sit down, live your life. You know, and the fact that you can make a difference in this world, however you want to make a difference. And that was that was so important for me. And so having lived in the in the shadows of being with someone for 10 plus years and yet and still going every Sunday like, oh, no, uh-uh, you got to get you a husband. You got to because mm, that's what the Bible says, you know, and realizing like, golly, because people will talk about being a hypocrite and not doing things according to. To, to what God says, but it's like, you know, what is God's design for your life? You know, and that's what's important. And that's one of the things that I learned. I don't know if you guys have seen this show called Gentleman Jack. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. You're missing out. You're missing <laughs> out on life. Um, but basically it's a period piece from like the 1800s and where there is this, um, this, you know, the town lesbian. Well, of course, you know, they didn't have that language back then, but it, it, this her name was Ann Lister, and so Ann Lister was this person who was basically like she was this take charge, bold. You know, I am going to do everything pretty much that a woman can't do except for vote because they won't allow me to vote. But she travels independently. She loves women. She, you know, is and she was known to be the lover of the fairer sex. And one of the things that she said in while she was talking to her potential partner was, you know, for me to act different according to the way God designed me is unnatural. And a lot of times people would try to put a label on what's natural and what's not. And so when I remember when she said that, that thing felt like it just like a brick hit my chest. Like, how are you naturally designed? And that's what I wanted to do is live the life how I'm naturally designed. And my stuff isn't to look like everybody else's. When I think about my story, I think about the fact that I'm somebody who has overcome depression, but I'm not ignorant to know that it won't sneak up on me later on today. 
if I think about something, if I realize I'm in a big city, not completely by myself, but I'm navigating some stuff I've never navigated before. Will I mess up? Will I look up and it's like I'm going into a new job as a therapist? You know, am I going to do right by these my clients? You know, when you think about that weight of all that stuff, you open up doors to anxiety and things like that to come. And it's and, and it's natural for some of us, depending on how our dynamic is, our internal dynamic and our mental dynamic is. But in the same instance, it's like I'm not ashamed of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, when I think about the fact that, yeah, you know, my whole my nucleus family is there. And people look at you like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for you. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm surviving. I'm thriving. And that's what I was taught to do. I, I think about my story of being with someone that I thought I would have been with for the rest of my life, but I'm not. And now I'm just like, I don't even, I feel like, like people say, you know, you can get out there and you can meet other people. How? You know, I tried to navigate one of the online platforms, scared <laughs> me. When you look up and you start seeing people that you know on the app, it's time to get off. It's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's weird. It feels uncomfortable, but it's still something that I'll be able to navigate. It, it'll happen. It'll happen. Um, and you think about when I think about my dreams and goals, like I would love to be an ambassador for global mental health to the United Nations. I, I want to do it. I can taste it. I can feel it. I've been to I have some partnerships with the UN that I've gotten a chance to participate in. And so it's like my story basically is unfolding for the second time. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this one particular aspect of who I was, these identities that I operated with. Like I was this Christian single girl who was doing all these things in ministry until I hit that brick that day and realized, now you know good and damn well you ain't living a real life. This ain't who you are. It's like, okay, so it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to be born again. I'll just take that statement. It's time for you to be born again. And so here I am, actually living life. And so one of the things that I always like to stress to people is be more afraid to not do it than to do it. Be more afraid to not do it than to do it. Because I know there are people who literally are like, but I have kids. Okay. I, and and I, I know someone that I spent time with working and their spouse was the person who was like, no, I would prefer you just work at a grocery store than trying to do this stuff in the social justice field because you'll get caught up. And I'm just like, and my heart went out to them because I'm like, if you're with somebody who doesn't want you to pursue or be your best, to me, that that's grounds for divorce. Because it's just like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? You don't want me to live and, and, and be my best and make a difference in this world? Because that's what we're all called to do. And I'm not trying to sound like Martin Luther King either, but I'm just saying that I know that there is so much for us to actually pursue. And, and it starts with little things, you know, for someone who really is like their mom taught them how to bake cookies. Hell, you look up and it's like now 
somebody is from that from the learning how to bake cookies, you look up and they're a baker. Or they own their own, you know, business from that arena. It starts with a little and it's and you're never too old to do it. Um, a lot of times I don't tell people how old I am because two things happen. Number one, I get carded. Um, and then number two, it's like you lying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with being 44 and people are actually like, but you should be settled down. You should have kids. You should this, you should that. There is no such thing. Mm-mm. There is no such freaking thing. No, you will not put me in your box. That box was made for you. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, you shouldn't be in your own box. Mm-hmm. You know, and so my story is still evolving. And I'm grateful that I'm having a second opportunity. You know, I got inspiration from Cardi B. I was listening to No Limit. And when she was like, my career taking off and you jogging in place, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, Cardi. (laughs) Yes. I was like, thank you so much, sis. (laughs) I love it. I was like, yes, that stuff sticks with my heart. Like, Mm -hmm. for real. You know, let's get a chance to live and do the best that we can mm-hmm. and and do the things that you, you want to do. It's okay. You know, I thought that like coming out of grad, um, out of undergrad, I was like, I'm going to buy me a Mercedes. For what? <laughs> For what? Who's flossing? Who wants to see you driving a Mercedes? <laughs> Who cares? Mm-hmm. If something happens, the oil change is a thousand dollars. Come on. Stop. You know, everybody's like, well, you got to buy a house. For what? For what? And pay taxes to who? Not in this United States of America. Mm. No. You know, um, I saw a real dope two-bedroom condo in Thailand for 70, 70 grand. Hello? So it's like, you know, why, why not? And so what I'm doing is I'm giving myself permission, um, okay. even if it's by myself, just to... To, to live a full life, you know? And I wanted to include a partner. And, you know, I think I'm still hot, you know? Still I got some it. love to offer. Thank <laughs> you. And so it's like, I would love that, you know? Um, but in the same instance, even if there isn't anybody else that comes into your life, what quality of life can you still offer? Mm-hmm. I know people who feel like they are not of value because they are not with somebody. I've, I've saw people snatch up spouses from the internet because they felt like if I don't find somebody then people are going to think I'm less than Mm-mm. don't be don't let the society dumb you up mm-hmm. don't let them do it so my story is still evolving I've gotten a second chance to get a new one so I'm grateful uh, I connect so hard with so much of what you said <laughs> and like marinating on it right now <laughs> Okay, because I was just like, I'm so boring. No, like boring. Where? What? No, (laughs) that's the wrong adjective for all that. (laughs) Okay. I think like part of what resonates so strongly for me right now is we were kind of chatting in the beginning before we started recording. Like I did just graduate, and I'm 41, just wrapping up being a student and about to start my career and that whole like putting people in a box like oh but you're in your 40s you should be this and you should be that and you should have this and you should have that and I'm trying to rewrite those messages like you were saying right like 
because I noticed myself saying things like, oh, I'm finally starting my career or I'm finally starting even life sometimes. I'm like, I've been living, you know, and just starting a new chapter. But it's not right. it's not like I'm just starting to live or just starting my life. So getting rid of all those expectations of like what life should look like at this age right. or in this time period, it's like you just have to live it at each moment. You do. You really do. And the unfortunate part is about who made this shit up? Right. Who made this up? Who are the they? Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna see what the they community looks like mm-hmm. that said that at, who said that 40 was middle age? Fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's who said, who said Do we that? look like no. middle age? No. We no. do not. No, half the time I forget how old I am. Right. Um, Because I'm just like, you know, I feel like I I get up and I'm me every day. Mm -hmm. If that's a ponytail, if that's a suit, if that's some jeans and a t-shirt, it is what it is. But it's one of those things where we have to get away from the people who have been so misdirected by society. Mm -hmm. Yet still, they don't understand how much society is a is. Uh, a threat to them you know like I remember once upon a time like I had this mentor and the mentor was like you know I wasn't really I was super young and they told me like you're incompetent and at the time I'm gonna lie I really didn't know what the word was but when I looked that bad boy up my heart broke Mm -hmm. and I was just like how you gonna call me that like you don't even know who I fully am Mm -hmm. but I didn't even know how to speak up to her and tell her not to say that to me Mm-hmm. Um, but yet and still, everything was being said, quote unquote, under the guise of love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bullshit. And so I look up now and I found that stuck with me for years. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I invited that person to my graduation. Like, now mm-hmm. who's incompetent now? Mm-hmm. Who's this? Now, the flip side is they didn't even deserve to even be really a part of my life. Let's just be real. Because if you're saying something like that to me, it's like, come on. But then I had to realize, here comes the side part. Somebody said that to you. Mm-hmm. Even if you graduated from an Ivy League university, somebody still is thinking about, well, you're still not good enough to do this. or still not mm-hmm. good enough to do that. And because you took that in, then in the same instance, that's how you're responding to other people. And that's messed up. And you need help with that mm-hmm. because you're dismantling people mm-hmm. from their future because of your words, mm-hmm. because you never know who is strong enough or weak to take, or too weak to take what you're saying. And then the flip side is, it's like, you know, I got into med, I applied to medical school and I got in. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about like, okay, I'm looking at, and I, and there are times when I fall, so fall into this too. And I went to, I, apply for a school that was an accelerated program because number one I've been through undergrad been through my master's I'm not trying to be in school for another 10 years Mm -hmm. gee that's just not gonna happen Mm -hmm. so I found an accelerated program and so the problem was that I didn't get the funding that I really needed Mm -hmm. to carry me through to my clinical Mm -hmm. and so you know at the clinical portion then I could apply for a loan that would take full care of me and then I start my residency and then, you know, my internship and stuff like that. And then I'll be able to go ahead and get into the salary that I wanted to get into. Um, but the funding just didn't come through. And so I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'm still accepted into my first PhD program and I'll just go ahead and do that. 
But I remember once upon a time where I wouldn't have thought that I was even smart enough to even complete the application mm. because of the words that I used to listen to from people. So I'm like, never again. Mm-mm. Never again. The society that we live in, where they people take people's lives, you know, day in and day out with guns and sit up and tell people that they're not good enough, but yet and still want to, you know, hype up mental health like it's some type of, you know, new sale at a, at a, at a grocery store. Come on. Mm-hmm. No, nah, not at all. You better learn how to live your life individually and to basically operate with what's natural for you. And then be, you know, have people around you that can help you do that. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we can't do stuff like this on our own. How long did it take you to find those people? I'm still finding them. Mm. Because I was the person that I was the fixer. And I didn't know how to let people come into my life and help give me encouragement. Mm-hmm. Or because of the stuff that I believed for so long, I didn't know how to accept the words of encouragement and direction from other people. Mm-hmm. So now I welcome it. Mm-hmm. Now I welcome the right people into my life. Before it was like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Someone be like, oh, you're this, you're that. Okay, whatever. And I would never receive it, knowing that I needed to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, because everybody needs to hear some encouragement. Everybody needs mm-hmm. to hear those things because it's fundamental to who we are to know that we're making a difference and doing something good yeah yeah that makes me think like because I've similarly been kind of like well like you said you're the one who was like the fixer and that's kind of what got me into mental health like with in my family that was my role the fixer the nurturer the one who was taking care of everybody and I realized as I got older I'm like yeah, it's hard for me to let people have that role in my life. And because I'm the one who's always used to doing it, that's just how I function. I didn't know any different. And I've realized now, like I've been making conscious changes, not only to allow people to do that, but to make it a requirement to be in my life, that you're going to be there to like celebrate my, you know, accomplishments with me. You're going to be there to like be a support if I do need someone or right. like, I'm it's now a requirement. Like if you can't be there for me the way I can be there for you, then like there's an imbalance here and right. that has to be rectified or it's not healthy for me anymore. Right. And even with setting those type of boundaries, people get offended mm-hmm. because some people are used to you and knowing you from your younger years. Mm-hmm. And so because they're used to you and knowing you from your younger years, they know your failures and they know that they've been with you on that trajectory. Right. And so now when you come into the self-awareness and come into that place of this is who I am, I need you to respect the change in my life. They don't know how to accept it. Mm-hmm. I remember when I told an elder, who was a part of my life that I had gotten into medical school and other stuff was going on. And so I hadn't talked to them. Like I don't talk to them every day or nothing like that, mm-hmm. but it was just a life update. Like, Hey, this just happened. I wanted to share it with you. And they were like, Oh, that's nice. Well, so-and-so they just got accepted into a, um, into a program and they're going to be in a play. And I was just like, and I didn't say nothing, but it, I, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I just told you something good happened in my life and you deflected to another person. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. 
why is it that you can't be happy for somebody else getting something that is so phenomenal and so life-changing for them? Yeah. And even if they don't do it at the end of the day, they still got in. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you not? Why would you not? And so you have you have to I stop and I stop now and pay attention to things that people say and what people do, mm-hmm. because it lets me know who you really are. Mm-hmm. You just just keep talking. You tell me who you are. Mm-hmm. Just keep talking. And what, what my frustration with myself was, I didn't pay attention to what they were doing before. Mm-hmm. And so because I miss them being that person. In other instances, because I just realized, oh, they love me so much. They would never do. Yes, the hell they would, because they're just as jacked up. Mm -hmm. They're jacked up. And because people have mistreated people and people have other people have mistreated them. That's how they respond to you. Mm -hmm. And it's and and it, it doesn't matter the age. People think that people grow older and they're just so sweet and, you know, apple pie making hell no. (laughs) You, you, you too can be older with some wisdom and still, you know, be toxic. Mm-hmm. And you have to acknowledge that. And, and you got to be careful with how that person is going to really impact your life and be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, so you setting boundaries and understanding who fits and who doesn't fit. And it's okay to let people fall off by the wayside. If they don't fit, they just don't fit. That's it. But at the end of the day, you don't stop growing. You don't stop making a difference. You don't stop loving you. However that love looks, you just making sure that you take care of you. Mm -hmm. And that includes having the right people around you. For sure. One of the things I was thinking kind of in the beginning, too, is what was your ministry life like? Like. Who was Ooh. that person in that other life, the way you describe it? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I was, I'm going to name them off. And I have to do it according to days. So I was assistant director of membership. I was assistant to the audiovisual director. Um, I was a praise and worship leader. I was a youth praise and worship director. I was a deacon. I was on pastoral care. I, what else? I was over the singles ministry. I was a youth leader. And I'm drawing a blank. And then I did some other regional work. So I was a part of a denomination that I don't, um, that I don't think they say Black Lives Matter anymore. Um, But I was a part of a denomination where it was predominantly white in the state, but it internationally, it was a very indigenous uh, organization, but yet still it was ran by all cisgender white men for the most part with a sprinkle of color, literally like one or two specks. And so that was all those identities and activities made up my life. And so everybody was like, Ooh, you can do it all. I was, I didn't know no better. You know, I was like, oh, I like working with the kids. Oh, I was perfectly fine being a caregiver. Oh, I did this. And basically, if the phone rang, I did it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that pretty much was. Now, out of those things, I gained a lot of skill sets that you can list on your resume. <laughs> and you just put it up under, you know, change the name of it. Have somebody that's a good wordsmith to make stuff look like it's coming from an amazing 501c3 organization. Boom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
but I, I, I learned a lot. And, and in the same instance, it was like, you know, yes, this is what you do for God. God's like, I didn't ask you for all that. I didn't. I mean, thanks for coming, but I didn't ask you for all of that, you know? And so um, with that comes, you know, being a part of cultures where you are participating in, you're dealing with like people that like their identity on a Sunday morning from like 8.30, 9 o'clock until about 3 o'clock, that is a primary part of who they are. And when you don't know who you are, when you walk or drive off the parking lot, it can really mess you up. And so I remember um, my awakening from those identities started um, for me right before I left to go study in um, Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. And I realized I'm like, stuff needs to happen differently in my life, but it's not happening differently in my life. I need to make some changes, but I'm the only one that can make some changes. If I talk to the people here about how things need to change in my life, they're not going to understand it. They're not going to accept it. And that was the truth. And so, you know, I, you know, I started stepping down from different things and people were like, what is going on with you? You know, but it was like, I just realized like this, y'all ain't going nowhere. You all are staying in the confines of these four walls. You're running around with the ultimate goal is to please one or two people and, and neither one of those persons are God. And I don't want to do that. Like I'm too afraid. I've walked behind too many caskets mm. to say I want my life to end by being someone that just did this at this address. Mm. Nah, I can't. Mm. So, you know, I just took the skill sets that I learned from what I did and just really applied it to me working in the mental health field, you know? So when people talk about they've been through, you know, church abuse and things like that, I can understand and I can help navigate it. You know, people are trying to figure out where do I, how do I create a trajectory for my life and walk into self-awareness and, you know, unapologetically walk away from things and people, you know, I can help navigate those, you know, that path as well. So it gets very colorful, but that's pretty much how it started for me. Thank you yeah. for sharing all that. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, thanks. You did a lot of work within the church for a long time, and I'm curious, like, now that you are in the mental health field, is there a certain population or certain, uh, like, specializations that you primarily work within or enjoy working with the most? It kind of looks like it did before. Like, I like working with a lot of areas. So I, I, I contract for a nonprofit in New York. And so what we do on Sundays, well, we haven't for the past couple of weeks because due to me moving. Um, but what we get the opportunity to do is we have these sessions where we virtually, we connect virtually and we talk about what's been going on in our lives. And so we offer each other, everyone within this group at one point was, uh, is a, they are all survivors. We are all survivors of rape and sexual assault. And so what we've been doing is like, okay, so how do I become more than just this label of a survivor of this? Yes, it happened in my life, but I'm also learning how to be resilient and how to make other things happen. So what am I doing that I really want? What am I not doing that I really should be doing? Or how do I get into um, the different arenas that I really want to you know, blow up? 
And so with that being said, we get together on Sundays from six to eight and we talk about what's happening or what's not happening. And so we decide to be life midwives for one another. Mm -hmm. So say for instance, if somebody is saying, you know what, I want to write a book. There's somebody in the group that's already written a book. So that person starts mentoring the other person. Someone else is like, you know what, I have my own nonprofit, but I'm having problems getting access to grants. Well, somebody in the group is already a grant writer. And so they go ahead and give them the tips or tools that they need, or they go ahead and pay them to help them get the grants they need for their organization. Um, You look up and someone is like, look, I just need to stop being afraid to speak out or to talk about different things. Well, let's come together and let's do something simple to give your voice the platform that it deserves. Let's create a podcast. And so let's go ahead and make that happen. And so that's what we've been doing. And so that's, that's what's been fulfilling, very, very fulfilling for me. And it's something that I probably want to expand because of the fact that I know that there are other folks out there that would love to, you know, have access to a group that would say, now, I already know that I want to do it, but I just need a, um, an arena to talk about it. No one gets tired of talking about anybody else's dreams or aspirations. That'll never happen. And if someone feels like they're about to fall off during the week or I'm frustrated, we'll go ahead and we'll jump in the chat. And we're like, look, this is what's going on. That's what's happening. You look up, people are sending people encouragement. People are giving people, you know, insight on how to make some things change. We're working to make all of this make sense for one another because we realize there's so much for us to do. And we really need to do it and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be, you know, bound by labels and experiences in our life. We're going to actually move on. And we're going to be what we really have been called to be. And, you know, hit those demographics demographics where we need to make a difference. Sounds like a powerful group to be able to be a part of. That's great. Yeah, they are some phenomenal humans. For real really phenomenal and to navigate everyday life and mm-hmm. still come out and be on top they're not playing yeah they are yes. not playing at all i love them well on that note shameless plug time <laughs> go <laughs> shameless plug time so yeah like i just said i'm going to be expanding um i'm, I'm i got 2020 vision And so um, while I'm getting acclimated here in the Bay and getting back in school 2020, look for the life midwife. You know, I'm going to expand this thing and really come out and try to help people make a difference. Again, you've already made the decision that you want to do what you want to do. I'll be your sounding board. I'll be your think tank. um, And we're going to create and make some things happen. So the life midwife under the auspices of the think tank is coming in 2020. Wonderful. Can't wait to hear yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like me too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for spending part of your morning with us. It was yeah, great having thank you. you. I can't believe y'all wanted to hear me talk. This is lovely. Thank what? you. Why are you so surprised? Because I normally don't do stuff like this. I, mean, well, I mean, I feel like you should. Like, time to start okay. doing it. Like, you have a very, like, warm and welcoming demeanor to yourself and, like, how you speak. And, like, I feel like a lot of people would love to hear you and hear what you have to say. 
Thank you so much. That's encouragement. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like I could have been here for another hour. So you're you're good. Yeah. Definitely do more. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your platform because we wouldn't have our voices out here if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you. Thank you. We're happy to do it. Enjoy you the rest of your day. Yeah, get some coffee. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to turn. I can turn right back over. Oh, there man. you go. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. You guys have a great day. You Take too. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C., and you can check out her music at bsteadwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk, Talk to you, you all next week. week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. Well, when you, like, present that, how was, like, <laughs> people's first reaction? <laughs> I feel like there should be, there would be a reaction. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a mix. I've, um, so one thing I'll say is that I've learned to stop saying it to my Uber drivers. <laughs> they late funny. at night. No, they get too excited. Oh, no. <laughs> That's kind of worse. They get too excited. Yep. So, oh. so yeah. So not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it just, it. so many people assume that it's something that's sexual mm-hmm. um, that I often have to kind of like walk that back or, or help people to figure out that it's not. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories. Also check out the creator of our podcast music, B. Studwell. She's an incredible queer artist from D.C. and you can check out her music at bstudwell.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes, don't forget to rate us so others will be able to find our podcast. Talk Talk to you all all next week. week.